What's up, guys? In today's interview, I'm talking with Peter Taunton, who is the founder of Snap Fitness. You know, over 2,500 stores all around the world. This guy has just created an absolute legacy. He's made over $100 million. He's got the cars, yachts, the jets, everything you can imagine. But we talk about how it's not actually the thing that defines him and what real success actually is. So plug in. This one's going to be a really, really awesome interview and really learn how the mindset of someone who's made nine figures and the difference between that and someone who's just kind of making six or seven figures and what it truly, truly takes to grow a massive brand icon that's known all around the world. So let's get into this. Grab your notepads and pens. Let's go. Welcome to the Dreaming Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to get inspired, learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan Nelson. And each week, I'm going to bring you the most epic guests to share their stories and wisdom to help you expand your mind of what's truly possible in your world. Awesome, guys. So today's guest is a 58-year-old entrepreneur and investor from the US who started his entrepreneur journey at the ripe age of eight years old just after his father got him thinking just a little bit differently. And then to get into the fitness industry and working his absolute butt off, he's eventually built one of the largest fitness club chains in the entire world called Snap Fitness. But what I love most about this guy is he's just with all his success and all his achievements, he's just one of the most humblest, most genuine, down-to-earth dudes, just with such a big heart to actually serve and help other people. So please help me welcome the guy that went from selling popcorn out the front of supermarkets at eight years old to now founding Snap Fitness, which is one of the largest gym chains in the whole world, growing over 2,500 stores in 26 different countries. Mr. Peter Taunton, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Actually, <laughs> it's evening for you, right? It is evening. What is it? It's almost 11 p.m. What is it for you? Oh my gosh, it's like 9, 9 a.m. <laughs> 9 a.m. I love it. How good is technology yeah, that we can make this work? Cool. I love it. You got your green smooth there? I love it. Yeah, right? I got to start the day with that. So you got it. I always, you know, with these things, I always say I'm going to start my day with exactly what I need to fuel me, right? So the first thing, the first thing that hits my palate is something that's very healthy. I love it. I've been doing it for it. years. Yeah. Win, win the morning, win your day, right? Exactly right. So, um, Peter, take it, take us back to where this all started, this whole entrepreneurial journey. Like I was saying, you're, I, I've seen a lot about you and, and kind of, uh, listened to a bit and I find it just, it's funny how it all started just with the conversation with your dad back. Um, yeah, you know what, young. my, my father, I'm the youngest of seven kids. I have an identical twin and, um, and, um, when, when I was eight years old, my, my dad just said, Hey, look, you're going to, it's your turn to kind of run this pop little popcorn stand outside his grocery store. And it was not a, it was not a, a question. It was really a, more of a command, which I, I appreciated. I, I love the opportunity to, to, to go to, go to work and try to do something. Right. And, um, I didn't realize today that, that so many of my life lessons that I learned at that little popcorn stand would carry through to what I'm doing today. And he, you know, he taught me how to embrace, embrace people. He taught me how to, chase down business don't 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 let wait for it to come you go out and get it so he you know he prompted me to get out from behind my popcorn stand and 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 really be be a be a hustler ask people if they wanted to try my popcorn tell them how great it was and so it was really good at it at such a young age to to have that opportunity and for that i'm i'm forever grateful yeah and that's so funny so when i first heard that uh story i just cracked out like i i, I laughed because I I must have probably been what grade are you when you went? I probably would have been eight nine as well. And and I I was selling raffle tickets at the front of our supermarkets. 
Right. And, and it's the same thing, like just so relentless. Like I kind of understood the, the numbers game. I'm like, you know, if someone like said no to me or something, I'm like, man, he's having a bad day. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You gotta go. You, you have to go get it. And, and the other part of, of being able to work for my father at his grocery store was to get, have a front row seat to watch him, how he, how he worked. I mean, he had this, this, this grocery store, but he was, ne- he never put himself above anything. He would, one minute you'd see him stocking shelves. The next minute he'd be working the cash register. He'd be carrying out groceries. He, nothing that he did, he never put himself above anything. And I think that his employees absolutely loved that about him, that, that he was a doer. He was, he was not afraid to jump in the trenches with his employees and, and, and work his tail off. So I, I was very fortunate to, have, to witness that. That's incredible. And that's, that's such great leadership as well. Like, really so- is. So eight years old, and then so let's let's bridge this gap. Then what what happened between selling popcorn to then Snap being what it is? Yeah, so I went. I transitioned from that when I was thirteen. I picked up a racquetball racket for the first time, and it, it was a sport. Racquetball was a sport that came very easily to me, and um, it's it's I in within about five years I was a touring pro. I was a sponsored player. And that's what really introduced me to the racket, to, to the health and fitness space that I had these, I was in an environment, I spent so much time inside of health clubs and it was an environment that I felt was so friendly. Everybody was very positive. And I thought to myself, man, if, if I could make a living within this space, what a blessing that would be. And that same club that I played at every day as I was growing up, they were, it was a club that was failing. It was losing money. And one day when I was ready to move to Orlando, Florida, I had breakfast with the owners of this club. And I said, look, I just feel compelled to tell you that you guys are never going to turn this club around with the guy you have managing it. He's, he's not engaged with the, with the members. He's not engaged in the community. I just want you to know, because I witnessed it firsthand. I'm in this club every day. He's just not your guy. So I said, if you guys ever want to turn this club around, give me a call. And on that note, I literally hopped in my car and drove to Orlando, Florida to, to play racquetball and, and get into some warmer climate. And it was literally about a year later, my phone rang. It was these, these owners. And they said, look, Peter, um, we'd love to give you an opportunity to turn this club around. And they, they said, we'll pay you $16,000 a year. So they paid me next to nothing. But they said, if you turn this thing around, We'll let you buy us out with the profits. And I'll be honest with you. I'm sure those guys thought it was a Hail Mary. I thought they, I'm sure they thought I had no chance of winning, you know? That's so funny. And how, how old were you when you, when you said that to them, when you made that, that, that statement of like, if you want this club to be, be better, you need to get rid of this guy. Yeah, I was probably, I was probably 20, 20, 20, 21. <laughs> What I was doing when I was twenty it was yeah I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Where where did where did the confidence come from of knowing that you could do that? Well, you know what I I knew I knew that I was good with people because tra- traveling around and and playing racquetball you're in you're in the limelight you're are you are especially being a sponsored pro um, you are you do get special treatment you do get a lot of attention. So I knew that I could communicate with people. And I also, I also knew what it, was gonna, what it would take to, to, to really to get the members to, to fall in line and to support this business. I mean, the reason the members didn't care, the members didn't care because the management didn't care. The club was dirty. 
if the, if any of the equipment was broken down, there was no sense of urgency to get it fixed. And he was just not in the game. He was not present in his business. And, and when I had the opportunity to turn the club around, it was really an eye-opening experience for me because you're talking about a club that had no money, they had no budget, and they said, okay, Peter, come here, turn it around. So I had nothing to work with at all. And so it, it, I, I had to get really, really creative. And so I, I was bartering with, um, <coughs> excuse me, I was bartering with um, um, carpet and paint and um, electrical, plumbing. Nothing was off the table. I mean, I remember going into a carpet store and saying, hey, hey look, I need carpet, but I don't have any money, but I have memberships. So how about you trade me some carpet and I give you memberships for all of your employees? Well, to my, to my surprise, they said, okay. And so I went to every carpet store. I went and I, I just traded everything. And my members absolutely loved it because for the first time in a long time, they could smell fresh carpet and they could see the walls were being painted and, and, and they, could, they could just see that somebody was there that cared. And, and that's, and, and that's where it all started. Literally in five, six years, I turned that club from losing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to making a couple hundred thousand a year. So it did not take me long to get the people within that club and that community to support what I was doing. And all I did, it wasn't magical. All I did was care, right? I just, I worked hard. I got up. I made sure that my staff was, was on point, that they, that they made the members feel special. And I, I told my staff, look, we're going to change the way we do business. And, and if you're not down with that, that's okay. You just won't have a job here because you've got to, you've got to make the members feel loved. You have to make them feel special. You got to call them by name. When they come in, you got to greet them by name. When they leave, you got to tell them, thanks for coming in. Hope to see you tomorrow. I mean, if you, if you can't handle that interaction, greeting people, good to see you, have a great workout. If you need anything, let me know. I'm right here. If you can't give that, the people that sense of love and appreciation, you're not going to make it in the, in the service business. Yeah. So the, so the main thing you were focusing on was how can you just get the best customer experience? 100%. And, and I knew that I knew early on the customer experience, it was going to start with, with, with just caring I mean, I remember one of the first couple of days I took the business over, I told the staff, we're going to, hey, everybody show up tomorrow, we're going to clean. We're going to give this club a deep clean. And I remember when I got there, before we got started, this lady steps forward, one of my employees, and she says, hey, Peter, I just want to tell you, um, we, we don't clean. And uh, so that was a real eye-opening experience for me, you know, and because and, I could have gone down one of two paths with her. I could have said, you know what? You're exactly right. Um, you know, I didn't hire, you were not hired, I'm sure, to be cleaners. And um, my bad. So you got anyone who doesn't want to clean, go ahead and go home. I could have done that. But instead, I drew, I drew a hard line. And I just said, the woman's name was Barb. I said, hey, Barb, Barb, and you also don't have a job. And, you know, you could have heard a pin drop. There's probably 45, 50 people there. You could have heard a pin drop. But I, I'm... She ended up staying, but that was when I went into my narrative of saying, hey, look, everyone, there's a reason this club is losing money. This club, if you guys are not aware of it, this club loses money every year. So and not just a little bit, a couple hundred thousand dollars. So 
I don't know if the owners have been sharing that with you, but they're writing paychecks to you every, every couple of weeks. This business loses money. And I'll tell you why it loses money. It loses money because nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. You guys, you don't care about the club. And what tells me that is I'm looking around. It's an absolute pigsty. So you don't care. Those of you that are working the front desk, you don't embrace the members. And I said, look, today is the last day that we are going to be average. So if you've got that average mindset coming into this business, that's fine. But you're not going to work here because I need a team of overachievers. And I don't care if I got to carve this thing down from 50 employees down to 10. I would rather have 10 warriors than, than, than 40 people that just don't, don't want to lean forward and work hard. And that's such a huge thing. Just that straight up work ethic. It's like, it's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's just something that we choose. We like, you know, everyone's always doing their best. I I truly believe. But then, you know, our best is always this, like this default. But then when, when we become aware of it, it's like, well, this is what I'm doing now. If I was to do better than what I'm doing right now, what would that look like? And I'm not doing, I do a lot of consulting right now. And, and with, with the consulting I do, everybody says, yeah, I'm going to do my best. And sometimes you got to say, your best isn't good enough. So I want you to understand, I'm, I appreciate the fact that you're saying you're doing your best. But I also, on the same hand, I want you to know that you've got to elevate your game. You've got to elevate your game. You have more potential than you think you have, but you're, just not, you're not willing to put in the work. You're not willing to make the sacrifice, the discipline, the, you know, those moments, those character building moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know that I can do this. And that's, that's part of owning a business. It's hard work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So then, so you said about five or six years, you were turning it around and then when and how did you kind of go into branching all out into franchising across America? And I did that with that club. I, t- I turned it around and I was fear- fearless when I built, when I built the one club, when I had that club, as soon as I got the, lo- the loan about halfway, <clears throat> halfway paid down, then I, I went ahead and, and got another loan. I built another club. I did that for 20 years. Eventually, I had seven clubs, and they were all big, full-service clubs. And after 20 years, I sold those. And when I sold them, that's when I took a step back, and I thought, you know what? I love this space. I love this industry. What if I did away with swimming pools and climbing walls and childcare and racquetball courts and aerobic studios? So this club went from being, you know, 40,000 square feet to 4,000 feet. So I, it just, it got smaller and the unit level economics came into play where, you know, suddenly instead of having 50 employees, I had two. Instead of needing thousands of members to break even, I needed a couple hundred to break even. So the unit level economics came into play. And so when, when I started my first Snap Fitness, I built it in an urban market. And to my surprise, I, had, I, I sold enough memberships in 90 days to cash flow for the year because I had a product that was relevant. It was when I started Snap Fitness, it was a 24-hour concept. You belong to one, you belong to them all. It was no contract. It was about $35 a month. So it resonated with the, with the, with the population at that time. And being that the club was smaller, I had the ability to put the club in neighborhood strip centers. So you would pass my club on my way to work, on your way home from work. I made it convenient for you. And when it's, when it's convenient, you use it more. When you use it more, uh, the, the value's there and you don't quit. 
Yeah. That's so funny. You just, you, I, you just made me think of saying you're like, you're putting it in the strips like everywhere. Cause I'm like, well now we've got Corona lockdown. I'm on yeah. a plane, like, you know, I'm on a plane almost every week somewhere, yeah. you know, and yeah. I sense it still snap is the, <laughs> I'm listening. Go ahead. Yes, yes. yes. So snap, snap is like the go-to. And it's just so funny because I'm just thinking about it. It's just so simple. It's so simple. And it's just always the place. And everywhere I'm in Australia, I'm, I'm hitting up snaps. Um, and, and yeah. globally, so it's just funny. Yeah, I've got, I have about 250 clubs in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. We've, we've, got, we've, got like, we've got gyms to the equivalent as fast food restaurants uh, in America, right? So you drive yeah. down the street, it's like three on one corner. It's, yeah. it's just crazy. We're, we're, all, we're all jacked up over here. Yeah. <laughs> right? no, no, that's right. There, there are a lot of clubs. There's a lot of competition in that market, but my, my clubs have always done very well in that market. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show it's like, like how to really stand out from the rest is a focus on customer experience, but then do better than your best. And I think that's like, like ordinary, if, you, if you're ordinary in this world, especially today's world with technology, internet, everything, uh, you'll get left behind very, very fast. Yeah, very quickly. No question. It's, it's, you know, business in business in general, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. And I talk about that all the time when, I, especially when I'm talking about to young entrepreneurs, they don't. They don't understand. They haven't thought it all the way through. They just say, hey, I want to own my own business. Well, okay, so what does that look like for you, right? And, um, and I, what I try to do is I try to get them in the right mindset so they're mentally prepared for what's in front of them. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing somebody start their own business and, then, and, 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 and grow it and flourish, right? It's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And has, has there been many fails along the way? I'm sure there definitely has. Yeah, you know what? Um, I have. I've, I've certainly had my share of failures. I haven't had my share of failed businesses, but I've certainly had my share of failures within the business as you experiment and try new things. I mean, but I, I could tell you that if I lined up 50 of my friends that have done extremely well financially, if I line them up, there's not a one of them that is going to tell you that they have not had unbelievable failures in their life, number one. And number two, every single one of them will tell you that some of the best lessons they've ever learned have been through times of adversity. So it really is. It's when, when, when times are tough, when things are challenging, that's when you have to dig down and that's when you need to get creative and, and be in, an innovative thinker. And like, like, like the coronavirus right now, the crisis, I, I mean, in my lifetime, I've never had a crisis like this that's affected the world. I mean, in 2000 here in the United States, we had the dot-com crash, which was the stock market crash. That really didn't affect me because I didn't have a lot of money in the stock market. Um, and then in 2008, we had the financial crisis where uh, the banking world came to a screeching halt. That affected me a little bit, but nothing like Corona-19, where literally I've got every one of my gyms around the world is closed. It's been closed for over a month. And, and what, what breaks my heart, I feel really bad for these, for the franchisees, because these are people, they have their life savings tied up in their business. And for no fault of their own, they were, were required to close their doors. And, and many of them don't have the financial means to, to, to support it for months and months on end. I mean, if we don't, honestly, in this country and around the world, if we don't lift the quarantine, if we don't do that here in the next few weeks, 
honestly, the coronavirus is going to be a picnic compared to the bloodbath. Mm. You're going to have uh, all the hundreds of thousands of small businesses around the world that are going to close. I mean, small business is the backbone of, of, of the economic culture in just about every country. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, it does sound like over in the States and especially in Europe, it's definitely way worse, but here in Australia, it's definitely not like it's, it's definitely affecting different places a lot more, but I a hundred percent agree there. It's, I think we're just at the start of what's going to happen, but it's also very interesting to see, you know, where, where others are fearful. There's also massive opportunity. Well, and you know what, let's face it with the Corona 19 virus, when when the media got a hold of it over here, I mean, in the United States, we're half crazy anyway. We we love drama. We love a story. And the media in this country, they just took it and ran with it. I mean, honestly, people were running around like it was freaking Armageddon, like it was the end of life. You, you know, here's the reality. And And by the time you got somebody with half a fucking brain to stand up and say, would everybody calm down, which is kind of where it's at now? I mean, literally, people were hoarding toilet paper, hand sanitizer. You'd go into the grocery stores, there wouldn't be any toilet paper in the place. It was just absolutely ridiculous. But here's the reality. The common, you know, the common flu bug that goes through this country every year kills three times as many people as this coronavirus does. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're predisposed, if you've got some respiratory issues, then you know, you're at risk. No different than the flu that comes through here every year. It's, but I mean, literally, if, and, and now, now they have a test where they can tell if you've had it before. There's a lot of people that have had the coronavirus and they didn't even know it because all they got was maybe they had a sore throat, maybe they lost their taste buds for seven, eight days. Um, they had a fever for a couple of days. I mean, for me, if I had a, if I had a little bit of a sore throat and just a light, a light fever, that would never stop me from not going to work. Mm. Okay. I mean, I've gone to work before when I feel a little bit under the weather. Yeah. It's just not, you know what I mean? If you didn't go to work every time you had a little bit of an ache, I mean, imagine what that you'd, you'd have to have 40 sick days a year. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. This, this, this just comes back straight to cold, hard work ethic, right? Like, and um, I think, yeah. what, what's that quote you say? Hard work works. Hard work works. It's like, there's no denying it, you know? And it's yeah. just, it's, it's that doing that thing that you said you were going to do long after the feeling in which you said it has gone. Like yeah. keeping and, that commitment and integrity. And what you do, what you do when no one's watching. Yeah. Okay. What you do when no one's watching, how do you want to show up? I mean, it's people look owning a business and making it successful, making it thrive. It's hard work and it's seven days a week. It's 24 hours a day. So people say, well, you know, how much, what, how many hours a week does it, does it take to run a business? And then, and yet the answer is, look, if you own a business, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You could because, and what that, what I'm saying when I say that is, it, you give it whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter if you've got to go in and work on a Saturday or work on a Sunday, or if you're at home at night crunching numbers or something within the dynamics of your business has changed to where now you have to pivot in order to remain being relevant to with the consumer. I mean, at the end of the day, you take the health and wellness space, 
that industry has evolved so much. Every few years it evolves, it reinvents itself. And, and you know, it, it used to be the product that I started 15 years ago of Snap Fitness, if I was still trying to run a business like that today, we would be out, we'd be out of business. I mean, today it's all about group fitness and functional training. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's where it's at. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens after all this is back to normal with everyone's adapted onto online. I, I don't personally think, because uh, I, I think the biggest thing, especially in health and fitness, is community. So I think that's the biggest thing that people are actually going to crave more. So it'd be interesting to see if it, if it goes either one or two ways. If people more people want to go in and get in the community because they've been not in a community for so long or have they figured out that, hey, I can do virtual online classes from home? We'll see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I hope that I'm, I'm hoping that it fits, fits in really well to snap fitness where mm. it's a little bit smaller, more of an intimate environment to, rather than going in where you've got all these masses. But I'm hoping that people first and foremost, that people say, look, I'm going to get back into my previous lifestyle. I'm going to get out. I'm going to support the restaurants, the bars, you know, the, the, the food and beverage space, they're going to get out there supported. They're going to support their gyms, go out, support retail. I mean, people have got to get right back into it. They can't, they can't let this thing completely change their mindset. At the end of the day, the coronavirus, it's not a killer. All right. It's not, it's not a death sentence. And people have just got to understand that we could, we completely overreacted on this thing. And yes. there's, you know, we just lose, so many more people every year to the flu. We use half a million people a year to just obesity and heart disease. You don't see people shutting the economy down for those things. So no, it's gone absolutely crazy. Big mistake. Crazy. So Peter, what do you think is the main difference between? I heard you say on a, a uh, on another uh, call, you've you've made now north of hundred million dollars. What's what's the difference in mindset, attitude, work ethic? just life in general. What's the difference between someone who's made as much as you have and someone who's doing six and seven figures? Well, it's, you know what, I mean, making money, being successful, that's, that's the fruits of a lot of hard work and, and, uh, and, you know, you took the risk and it worked out. So that's one part of it. Um, it breaks my heart a little bit when I meet people that have done extremely well for themselves and, and they and they carry themselves with a certain level of this entitlement, mm. uh, condescending to people. They're not kind. I mean, one of the things that I really, really focus on that really matters to me is not forgetting where I came from. I'm still the youngest of seven kids. I still went to school in a two-room schoolhouse. I, I still, I watched my father be compassionate to others. Um, and, and so I, and I, I learned all that. I remember my dad one time, um, perfect lesson. I'm, I was about 10 years old and I walked by the front, by the office of where my dad was. And my dad is sitting there. He's got a really stern look on his face and he's talking to this gentleman who's sitting there in a long trench coat. And, um, and I knew that, that it was a discussion that was, that weren't concerned. Anyway, the guy, the guy left and I, I walk into my dad's office and I go, dad, uh, what was that? What was that all about? Right. Cause I could tell that my dad was upset and he says, have a seat. So I, I sat down and go, son, that, that man, he was a shoplifter. 
I go, a shoplifter? Oh, um, what did, did you call the police? What did you do? What did he steal? And he said, he stole a bunch of steaks, meat. And he says, inside his jacket, he had sewn pockets and he was filling his pockets with food. And I said, what did you do, dad? And he says, I gave him the meat. So for me, it was like, that was a real, that was a firsthand experience for me of compassion. You know, my dad, I'm sure my dad told him that, look, you know what, the, 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 the lesson here is you don't steal, okay? So he showed him that lesson. But then he, then he flipped that on its ear and he said, look, it's, um, he, he showed him real compassion and real love. And I'm sure the guy felt horrible for stealing it and embarrassed for stealing it, but he did what he had to do to probably feed his family or whatever it might have been. So I, I hope for me that, that, that people can understand that, look, I, I try to be kind every day. I truly, genuinely try to be kind to everyone I meet. Um, I don't let money define me. Do I live a much different lifestyle than, than most people? Of course I do, right? But I still get up every day. You know, I may drive a Ferrari or my, you know, I've got a lot of, a lot of things that I've accumulated over the time. Um, but I'm still that blue jean, t-shirt, bomber jacket guy hopping out of my Ferrari, right? I don't need to wear Armani suits. I don't need to be flashy. And because... I know who I am. I know what I've done. And, uh, you know, if I need to, if I need to, to suit up for something, I could certainly do that. But, um, you know, I always say, if you go into a restaurant and there's three guys in suits and one guy in jeans and a t-shirt and flip flops, he's the one with the money. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. And yeah, that's so funny. I, um, I, I love that because my, my mentor, if you see him, he, he, he looks like a freaking bum. And just multi-millionaire, right? It's just, um, it's it's crazy. Um, What I love what you just said is because, especially with young people these days, yeah, I think music and everything is a huge uh, influence. Design label this, Ferrari this, Jets this, and it's very much portrayed that the ultimate success life is materialistic things. And don't get me wrong, I'm like I have a Bentley on my vision board, you know, but that's not all what success is and and definitely for younger people it's very easy to kind of think that and and you said before it's like you know what you are and and i can you talk a bit more about how, how did you kind of build that success in yourself where you know you go to bed at night going i know i've done well today and money isn't defining you well you know what it's 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 funny you say that because you know up until i like i was 50 i'm not you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I, I got up every day chasing money. I did. I mean, through my 30s and my 40s, and, um, you know, I love the idea of being rich. I love the idea of driving a business, not writing a business, but literally driving it, pushing it. Um, so I love that. And I was completely motivated by making money. And it wasn't until I was 50. I'd been married for 20 years. I've been divorced now for five. And I'm really, I, that I just woke up one day and I said, okay, well, I was, I felt, I felt empty. I felt like I had kind of whiffed on some things that were really important in my life. I mean, here I was, I've got a $10 million lake home. I, I'm sitting in a $4 million penthouse, private jet, Ferrari, Aston Martin, yacht. So I've got everything that a guy could want. 
but there are moments that I wake up and I'm completely lonely. Right. And I don't, I mean, I wish, I wish that I had uh, someone, a, a woman that I could share it with and, but I become a little bit guarded mm-hmm. just because life and how people, everybody wants a piece of you. Um, and that comes with it. So I'm, I'm certainly not complaining, but I, I come to the realization that, look, you can have all of the material bullshit stuff that you could imagine. And I have it. And yet I still can't seem to find, you know, that woman that just is, you know, just, I, I'm just, I'm physically attracted to her. She's, she's grounded. She's humble. She's, She's kind, you know, I'm the, the, the type of women that I date, they're beautiful and they've been beautiful their whole life. So it's really hard to find a woman who's beautiful, who is completely grounded, meaning that she's, she's had special treatment her whole life. And some people, just like some, some people who have money, you would never know it because it doesn't define them. Mm-hmm. Just like I, would, I, I love it when I meet a woman who's absolutely stunning and she's, kind and compassionate and of course she knows she's beautiful but she doesn't use that to to in a negative way right and that those are those are hard women to find you know a woman that's not looking for somebody that's just going to come and take care of her and sub, and give her this amazing lifestyle so you know for me i look i look for that i don't i don't want to be a serial dater right so for me i don't want to be a serial dater i want to i want to meet a woman i don't have any fear of of getting married again at all um, I look forward to it, but I tell you what, the next 50 years of my life, it's not going to be to see if I can somehow make another hundred million dollars. It's really going to be about giving back, um, living my life and uh, traveling and, and helping people where I can. That's why all this consulting and stuff that I do, I don't charge at all for it. If, if I, if when, when corporate America wants consulting, I charge them but I have them make the check payable to my foundation and I give a hundred percent of it away. So I'm not, I'm done making money to speak. That's not my driving force anymore. I've checked that box. Now it's about living, living my life. That's that's so incredible. I love that. What's, what's your charity code? Well, it's the Peter Townton warrior foundation. And so my, my warrior foundation, it's all about um, giving back. So what are my causes? And here's the other part about me when it comes to my philanthropy, I'm not, I don't give to, you know, big um, fundraising causes. I would much rather give to the grassroots, the small organization where a hundred percent of the people who work within the organization are volunteers and uh, you know, a a dollar for a dollar goes, finds its way to the street. Right. So for me, I, some of the causes I, I like to support people who serve, uh, who serve others uh, is one, whether it be, you know, law enforcement, military, I help pay for the education and food and shelter for those. I, I've got a soft spot for um, animal cruelty and, and poaching. I own a luxury camp in the Serengeti. And uh, so I try to, to help with poaching. And then also I try to try to do things for the homeless if I can. That's incredible. I love that. Like that's, it's, that's, that's the whole thing. Earn more to give more. And, and as much as this is the the message that I try to get across, because when I start this podcast, it's very easy to be kind of labeled as like a success podcast. And I'm like, yes, I success, you know, it's so broad though as well. It's not just financial. Um, 
you know, and, and all this kind of has to go, go with it. Like Tony Robbins talks about the wheel of life and it's like fulfilling every, every kind of area just so happens that, you know, without money makes the other ones kind of harder. So, you know, I still believe everyone should become a millionaire, not for the money, but for the person that you become. Yeah, absolutely. You know, given the choice, having money or not having money, I mean, let's just be real about it. Yes. Take the money. You know, <laughs> take the money all day long, every time. But just don't, don't, just don't let it own you. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not, there's more to life than that. And I get asked all the time, hey, Peter, if you, one regret, what, you know, what, what's the one thing you would have done over, right? And my response is always the same. I tell them, I, I wish I would have danced more. And what I mean by that is figuratively speaking, I wish I wouldn't, I hadn't worked so hard and so long that I, that I, that I didn't stop and kind of smell the roses or enjoy the ride a little bit more. And, and I can, t- I know exactly why I did because I ran my businesses from, from a point of paranoia because I had no plan B. I mean, if my business was, if any of them would have failed, I had no plan B. I'm not some little trust fund baby, you know? So for me, when I felt like I had an opportunity, I grabbed it with both hands and I, and I wrote it and I optimized it. I didn't. And, and now that's a, a great word of advice to people and say, look, if you feel like if you, <clears throat> if you've got into a business and you feel like you've got an opportunity and you're getting some trajectory, meaning, your business is growing. When you when you're in that place, you've got to push it. <clears throat> yes, yeah, you need to keep that momentum going. And like I um like I've created some pretty cool success um financially, I guess. Um nice. but it's <clears throat> I I always do balance between that thinking if I was going to die next week and I knew it, what would I be doing this week? And yeah. sometimes like sometimes it's like I'm getting on a plane and I'm doing a one-way ticket. And I'm going there and I've just, I've done that. Like, I, um, you know, I've had it like the last three years has just been insane because that's the life I created for myself. But what came before that in order to create that was so many late nights and so much more sacrifice. And, and I guess I've kind of just given myself the rule of not making too much sacrifice for my own joy for too long uh, because I still, it's still important to, you know, know exactly where you're going, having that vision. And there's no doubt about it. You even said you need to work, work hard and sacrifice. You can't, you can't have the same level of freedom you have now while building a new level. It just, it just doesn't happen. You need to make some sacrifice. Right. Um, but it's, it's kind of like you were saying, like stopping to smell the roses along the way and enjoying the process. Balance. It's all about balance, right? Yeah. Balance in your life. And, and it's so important that you've got, you know, you have your work life, you've got your friends and, and, and family and, and time for yourself, exercising your faith. And you, you got to have a balance in all those areas. Otherwise, you just become kind of one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also really enjoying what you're doing, right? Like yeah. um, you wouldn't have done that for, as you said, 35 years. How long you been in it for now? Yeah, I've been, it's all I've ever done. All I've ever done, I mean, for the, I made my money in the health and fitness space and I did that my entire life. So when I think about that just in itself, to be able to have, to create an unbelievable life in a, in a space that I absolutely am passionate about now that, and that's afforded me diversification. So from, 
you know, real estate. And I, I own a lot of real estate. I own, like I said, this, the a five-star lodge in the Serengeti. And, and I've, I've got, I'm diversified in my investments and things today. But all of that came about through the health and wellness space. Yeah. That was the, that was the catalyst for me. Yeah. Awesome. And what's, what's the, uh, what's the next five years look like for you? What's in your vision? Yeah, I just started, I just launched a CBD oil company uh, just last week. It's huge over there for that stuff, right? It's still legal here. I know. I can't, I cannot (laughs) understand that. I was talking to some of my friends in Australia and they said, Peter, I want to distribute your CBD oil here in Australia. And I said, no problem. Let's, let's go. Right. But in Australia, you need to have a doctor's note. It's one of the few countries left in the world that has that, you know, and which I can't, I'm telling you straight away, CBD oil, it's the Tylenol of the future, mm-hmm. 100%. So, and with my CBD company, it's called Elevare, Elevare Wellness Products. And, uh, and the, the, the website is Elevare Labs, E-L-E-V-A-R-E labs.com. But my product, it's all, it's all gluten-free, organic, GMO-free. Um, vegan. It's my compound is the best. I've got over a 90% absorption rate. When people try my CBD product as compared to, to the others that are in the market and there's CBD on every corner in, yeah. this, in the state, they, they absolutely love it. I mean, I, nine out of 10 of my customers reorder because my, my product is great. It's absolutely great. And what I love about it, 10% of the retail price, I donate to charity. So I'm not in it for the money. And I, mean, I, love, I love the idea of trying to build and grow a company. But uh, along the way, I'm going to make a difference in, in other people's lives as well with, with the, the charity component of it. So I'm excited for it. Like I said, I just launched it last week and we're slowly getting momentum. That's freaking last week you launched that. Yeah, last week. Nice and fresh. Yeah, so that's what, that's what I'm doing. And it's all yeah. e-tail. I'm not doing brick and mortar. However, I do have some people that have brick and mortar that, that want me to send them my product so they can put it on the shelf and sell it. So, you know, it'll, it'll evolve as we go, but I'm having fun with it. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, and I really, really hundred percent believe in the product. CBD is here to stay. It's not a fad. It's here to stay. It's mm-hmm. been in Eastern medicine for hundreds of years. So. That's so incredible. It's, it's going to be so interesting. Like I, I, I got a few of the products when I was like, I remember in the States like four or five times a year. Um, yeah. And I, I, I try some stuff over there and it's crazy. It's, it's yeah. crazy stuff. I have no idea why we'll get it here eventually. I, I think they actually approved it in camera. I, I don't really stay up to date with yeah. things, but it's got to, the world's going to catch up. It is. And CBD oil, it comes, so you can, it's tinctures that you can put a couple of drops under your tongue. So that's one, and then it gets absorbed in your system. What people need to understand about CBD oil, there's no THC in it. So THC is what, may, is what gets you high. So this has zero THC in it. So it's not, it's not you're not going to, you could, you could drink a whole bottle of it. It's not going to have any, you're not going to get high in the least, okay? Um, so the, the tinctures are the drops in your tongue, and there's also topicals. I mean, I've got a lotion that if you had a sore elbow, that you would put some of this lotion on your elbow and, and the, it would absorb into your muscle tissue around there. And within 15 minutes, your pain would have subsided. I don't care if it's your elbow, your lower back, it doesn't matter. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. But it's here to stay and it's completely natural. I love it. 
yeah, what, you'll love what it. What should um, we're 2020, we're in right now recording this. What should young people be focusing on putting their energy and attention to now? Well, you, you know what? It's everyone is different. There's a lot of different ways to make a dollar. I get I get approached all the time saying, "Hey, Peter, you know what? Everybody, there's this underlying, this undertow, especially with millennials. They want to. Everyone wants to be rich. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants financial success because with that comes finance, comes freedom, right, and choices. So, I I don't knock that at all. But I just tell people, hey, look, don't chase money. Money's money's too fast you'll never catch it okay find something that literally that you can be passionate about and and i as cliche as that sounds find something that you can be really passionate about because making money is hard work and if you're not completely passionate about it to the point where you're a little bit crazy um it's not going to work out for you i mean steve jobs said it best i mean steve said look to start your own business, you've got to be a little crazy because it's such hard work and there's so, it's so hard, it's so hard to do. Your chances of failure are 90% and, uh, and you're going to sacrifice what at times is going to feel like you're sacrificing your whole life. And there's some truth to it, but on the same hand, there's nothing more rewarding. So my, my advice to, to people today, and it doesn't matter what age you are is, Find something that you can really be passionate about because from that passion is where all your success is going to come because it won't feel like work to you. It'll be something that you love doing. And, and that's how I've lived my life. When I talk about the health and wellness space, I honestly, I never once ever imagine this. I never once didn't want to get up and go to work. I was always excited to go to work and, and excited for the next challenge and excited to open my next store. I mean, there was, there was one year I opened 377 stores in one year. Think about it. I was opening a new club every day, more than one club a day, somewhere around the world. And the beautiful part, I would walk into my office and thinking that there's today somewhere I'm going to open a club somewhere in the world every day. And when you walked around my office, people weren't running around with their hair on fire. Everyone stayed in their lane. Everyone was committed to the vision. Everybody did their job. And, and it's so that when you, when you build something like that, where you've got systems and processes and everybody is moving in the right direction, everyone's pulling deep on the oars. It's such a rewarding feeling. That's incredible. Peter, I'm super mindful of your time. So where can, where can everybody follow your journey? Uh, where are you on social media? That I keep it really easy for everyone. Follow me on Instagram, and it's just Peter underscore Taunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N. And I, I make several posts uh, a week. Most of them are business or just life um, posts. But then also watch my, my stories, you know, the little Insta stories, because that's me living my life. I mean, I don't care if I'm doing car karaoke. I'm just a, I'm just a normal guy, right? I, sometimes I'm out of my boat. I'll give you some snippets of what I'm doing. And because, you know, I've got the business side of me, but then I've got this, what I do to live life every day, right? And um, I think it's important that people see the balance of somebody's life when you've had the kind of success that I've had. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, about, I'm as normal a guy as I think there is. You know, yeah. I'm, nothing more than I, I'm nothing more than who I am. That's it. I am who I am. 
That's incredible. And I'll pop your website for your new business in uh, the description to this podcast. So go and check it out. And Peter, to wrap this interview up, I'm going to ask you one last question. Are you ready? Let's have it. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give yourself 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? It would say, I would say, Pedro, stay the course, be patient. Exercise more patience. And don't forget balance. That's exactly what I'd say. I wouldn't change my work ethic. I wouldn't have done anything because then I wouldn't have gotten where I was. You know, I had to run a little paranoid, but I would have just encouraged myself to, to maybe have focus a little bit more on that balance piece and be patient. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, if you know anyone else who is as passionate for life as they are successful, then please send them my way. I'd absolutely love to have them on the show. As Zig Ziglar says, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want. So that's why each month I'm choosing one lucky person who has left a review to have a free private 30-minute coaching call with me. So guys, if you got some value or inspiration from this, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 10 seconds and leave a five-star review and you'll go in the draw to win the call. And if you could share this with a friend, I would be forever grateful. Until next time, guys, I've got your back. Go out and dream out loud.